they've been called one of the best surf instrumental bands on the planet by Rockus Records UK and you can hear them here on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about the podcast Monster Kid Radio and I'm talking about the band Urban Surf Kings. This song is Gringo Beans. It's from their album Astro Surf A Go Go. You can find them a couple of different places. Reverbbranch.bandcamp.com is one place you can go. You can find them on Facebook under Urban Surf Kings or just go straight to their website at urbansurfkings.com where you can find links to their Bandcamp page, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all of it. This is probably where you're going to want to go to learn everything you need to know about Urban Surf Kings. They gave us permission to play this song on this episode of the podcast, and of course you'll be hearing it in its entirety at the end of the episode. This is episode 478 of the podcast, but honestly, I've kind of lost track of how many episodes we've done because we've had a handful of special episodes that we've done over the years, including the one that we released earlier this week. If you're just now joining us or your podcatcher didn't catch it, on Monday we released a Ray Harryhausen special episode. It was not a numbered episode of the podcast, but there was a number that inspired that episode. That was the number 100. This past Monday was the 100 birthday of the man who gave us so much Ray Harryhausen. And to celebrate, we put out a special episode. You can find that over at monsterkidradio.net or like I said, your podcatcher of choice should have it for you there too. But that's what happened a few days ago. Let's talk about what's happening today in this episode. We are catching up with the schedule that I kind of sort of announced a couple of weeks back with every intention of screwing it up again. But right now we are back on track with the movie Bride of the Gorilla. This is a movie from the 1950s that it left an impression on me. I had a really good time watching the movie. I have since watched it twice now. I've done a little bit more reading about it just for fun. And I had a great time chatting about the movie with friend of the show, fellow podcaster and game enthusiast, Tom Gorganis. Or Gorganis. You know, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing the name right. So why don't I ask him about that too when I have Tom here on the show to talk about what's become one of my absolute Okay, actually, you know what? I don't want to play my hand just yet. I'm going to save it for the conversation with Tom. Also, of course, Kenny. Not only was he busy getting the Harryhausen episode ready to go, he contributes another look at Famous Monsters of Filmland this week on the show where he talks a little bit about Bride of the Gorilla and a lot about a lot of the people that were involved in Bride of the Gorilla. So that's coming up here too. Plus, we have some listener feedback that we're going to go over. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up for this weekend's installment of Social Distance Saturday. Got some cool movies lined up. You're going to want to hear about it. You're going to want to watch it. And you're going to want to keep listening to this podcast, which is happening right about now. Man who must kill to live. He is 104 years old. Your eyes. What's wrong with your eyes? Yes, look at him well. This thief of time, this man who could cheat death, who knows the secret of immortality. I've been taking this fluid every six hours now. It's madness. It is what keeps me alive. So you see, you must operate. You, you 
know what will happen if you don't. Yes, you will die. Liar. Cheat. Murderer. Offender against nature and God. See the liquid that cheats death. See what he steals from the tissues of his victims so that he may never grow old and never die. No, 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 don't, don't do it. Anton Differing is the man trapped by his own fearful invention. Hazel Court, the girl who knows his love, but not his shocking secret. Oh, George, I love you so much. Christopher Lee, the doctor who gleans the monstrous truth and must submit to blackmail to save the girl he loves. If you perform this operation and perform it successfully, I shall release her. If you don't perform this operation, or if anything should happen to me while you're operating, Janine will not be seen by you or anyone else again. Since the time of Babylon, I've walked the earth, challenging the most venturesome of men. I am this sinuous creature, a killer cat. And I'm a woman, seductive, tantalizing, inviting a lover's caress. But to caress me is to play with death. I am the mystery woman of the ages, feline. Fascinating. To know me is to know all my loves, all the lives I've lived, the deaths I've caused. I am the essence in woman that no man can resist. I am Cat Girl. You're in the feedback section of the show, and we've got some comments from listeners. I'm going to start with a couple of emails that I received from listener of the show, friend of the show, friend of mine, Kevin Slick. First, he wrote in with, Hi, Derek. I enjoyed the Twitch show on Saturday. I caught the beginning and the end and checked in a few times during the day. It was the next best thing to being in person. Black and white monos, the hands of fate was enjoyable as well. Didn't see the whole thing, but the master especially benefited from the monochromatic look. I'd be interested in seeing a black and white version that's edited. I realize part of the charm of the film is the tedious quality in many parts, but what could a 30 to 40 minute monos look like? Maybe even play with the look going high contrast at times. It may be the proverbial lipstick on a pig, but seeing how the black and white element changed the experience made me wonder what else could be done. You know, Kevin, that's a really interesting uh, idea. I have thought about what else we could do with monos. I mean, I love that the movie's in the public domain and there are so many ways to uh, enhance the film (laughs) or enjoy the movie. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the monos, the hands of felt where it's done completely as like a a felt puppet show. I know monos, the hands of fate has been adapted for the stage. It might've even been a musical. I've never seen it, but I think there are some YouTube clips out there. I think there are some moments in the film that, are just padding. I mean, the 
fight with the wives. It just tends to go on and on and on. And I feel like some of the editing could be tightened up quite a bit. Eh, I don't know. Maybe it'll be something I work on down the line because, you know, I need more projects. <laughs> so that came in uh, last week. And then just a couple of days ago, Kevin wrote in again to tell me that he enjoyed the production of Dracula that we showed on the most recent Social Distance Saturday stream on the Monster Kid Radio Twitch stream. This was a version of Dracula that was done over in the UK starring... Denholm Elliott, Marcus from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as the Count. They do combine a few characters here and there, and it's a really interesting approach to the story. I really dug it. It is unfortunately only available on DVD in the UK. I was only able to find a Region 2 DVD. But I'm still looking to see if we can get it domestically a little easier because I know Kevin told Ron Adams from the Monster Bash about it and he hadn't seen it either. So we got to get more people seeing some of this classic stuff, which is part of the reason why we do Social Distance Saturday. Kevin also said that he posted a clip about Ray Harryhausen on Facebook inspired by listening to the Monster Kid Radio episode that was released this past Monday, which was Ray Harryhausen's 100th birthday. That was an episode that I was inspired to do by Kenny. Kenny came up with the format of the show, put the whole thing together. I let him kind of drive everything. A lot of times I just hit record and sat back because Kenny knows Harryhausen and the fandom that he has for that man's work runs deep. I had a really good time with that episode. And Kevin, I checked out your clip about Harryhausen as well. Listeners, you should check out what Kevin's up to online. He does a lot. Music, artwork. You can find him over at Kevin Slick. And if you ever go to Monster Bash, you can also find him in an orange t-shirt. Kevin, thank you for writing in. Now, we also had some comments left on Facebook, so I thought I'd go ahead and go over those as well. This one comes from Jose N. Love your show, brother. I do not know if you're old enough to remember... In 1982, the movie Gorilla at Large was shown in 3D throughout many local stations nationwide. The fanfare was such that 3D glasses were sold in convenience stores such as 7-Eleven and your Circle K's. I recall my friends and I riding our bikes to pick up our pair. I bet many MKR listeners recall that with as much nostalgia as I do. Anyways, just a thought I'd share with a fellow monster kid. Take care, man. Jose, I do remember this vaguely. I don't remember going to get the 3D glasses, but I do remember seeing ads on television promoting the 3D glasses. I wish I could remember what some of these movies were. This would have happened sometime in the 80s, potentially early 80s, when I was living in Tacoma, Washington, when my father, my Air Force father, was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. So, if any of the listeners out there were in Tacoma in the 1980s and remember seeing something like this on television, I'd love to kind of fill in some blanks here. I have a handful of television memories from that time, actually, that I'm looking to fill in the blanks. And you know what? It's not monster-related, but it's my show, so I'm going to mention this. I have this vague memory of seeing a fan film on television. This would have been in the era of like Hardware Wars really getting a lot of television airplay. And there was a television program. It might have been That's Incredible, something along those lines. Or it might have even been the local news now that I think about it. But there was this fan film that these kids had put together. It was called Stony, And it was a fan film version of Rocky. And what I remember about it most was that the kid's father actually built a boxing, not just ring, but an arena 
in the kids' backyard so they could do the boxing match and have fans in the stands and all of that. I've mentioned this on Facebook a few times over the years, and I've done a lot of Google deep diving. I have yet to come across anything about this. So if there are any listeners out there who know anything about this, drop me a line. I'd really like to know more about it, what happened to those guys, and I'd love to watch that amateur film again. We had another comment on Facebook as well. This one came from Cameron. Hey all, I just finished your latest episode on Atragon today and wanted to make a small comment. Derek, you and Anthony discussed the roles of the Empress and the High Priest, and I had something I wanted to add to that discussion. Due to the themes discussed in Atragon, especially about Japanese nationalism and World War II war powers, I always saw Mu as a sort of analog for Imperial Japan during the war, and the prevailing thought amongst historians and scholars at the time was that Emperor Hirohito was mostly a symbolic figurehead, and the Prime Minister Toho was the real one making the calls during the war. This theory is not as accepted as it once was. So I always thought the Empress and the High Priest were supposed to invoke that, to sort of explain why the Empress is mostly a passive figure. Just a quick tidbit I wanted to add. Keep up the great work. You know, Cameron, I think that is spot on. And I've talked about this before. And listeners, forgive me if I sound like a broken record. One of my absolute favorite things to do when looking at film from a previous age, and not just genre films, any movie from the past, it's like a mini documentary. You can see things happening in the background. You can experience what's happening at the time in which the films were produced. You can get these messages, these analogies, these metaphors that are being made about what's going on in the world for those filmmakers at that time. And I find that fascinating. What an incredible way to transmit your own history to the world and to the future in the case of a lot of these movies here that were produced in the 50s, 60s or going all the way back to the silent era. It's crazy to think about. And incredibly awesome. And I love this idea of the power structure of Mu being a stand-in for what Japan was doing during World War II. Great observation, man. I'd like to thank everybody who wrote in this week. If you want to be cool like Kevin, go ahead and drop us an email. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook or Monster Kid Radio on Facebook and leave a comment on any of the posts there. Or... You can even call our voicemail line. We do have a voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Do you dare to spend a night of terror in the Wax Museum? You can't tell the living from the dead. Are they flesh and blood or are they wax? Are they alive or are they dead? Jack the Ripper... Ivan the Terrible, Attila the Hun, Lizzie Borden, Lucretia Borgia, Bluebeard, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Terror in the Wax Museum. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. No! No! Below the crypt lies the vault of horror. A treasure chest of the macabre, filled with madness, voodoo, vampires, torture, and terror. All the things that make life worth leaving. The Vault of Horror, from Cinerama Releasing, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. 
The Vault of Horror. It has all the things that make life worth leaving. From the spine-chilling world of the living dead comes a never-to-be-forgotten combination of motion picture thrills. Two great new terror hits on one sensational program at your movie theater. Horror of Dracula. Plus, the thing that couldn't die. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, the terrifying lover who lusts for human blood. Dracula, the human vampire who rises each night from his coffin bed to seek the rendezvous that alone can keep him alive. Who will be the bride of Dracula tonight? Horror of Dracula. All new and in flaming technicolor. Plus this second thrill hit, the thing that couldn't die. What is it, this head that lives without a body? A monstrous thing that enslaves every woman, destroys every man who stares into its eyes. See both on the same show. Horror of Dracula and the thing that couldn't die. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. I found brief mentions of today's film, Bride of the Gorilla, while looking into the stars of the film, Lon Chaney and Barbara Payton. I also found an interesting article while chasing down the writer-director of the film, Kurt Siodmak. In FM 11 from April of 1961, in the first article featuring Lon Chaney Jr., the writer compares Junior with Senior and describes some of Junior's top roles. He finds this listing at the end of the article. Will Lon one day catch up with the thousand faces of his father? He's had varied roles in The Bride of the Gorilla, Strange Confession, The Missing Head, Cyclops, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Black Castle, Pillow of Death, Black Sleep, and his latest appearance in Mexico's La Momia. Soon to be released on TV is the number 13 Demon Street series, shot in Sweden under the direction of scripter Kurt Siodmik, with segments such as Fever, Girl on Ice, Mirror, and The Fortune Teller. Creighton Tall Chaney tackles television. May he have good fortune and continue to thrill his fans with at least another 100 faces before he joins his father in Horrorama's Balaya of Fame. Let's jump to FM 103, which includes a Lon Chaney Jr. tribute presented after his passing. This is the listing of the film in the filmography. Bride of the Gorilla, Broader Productions, directed by Kurt Siodmek, with Barbara, Four-Sided Triangle, Peyton, Raymond, Godzilla, Burr, and Tom, I Walk with a Zombie, Conway, Lon as Taro. Lon made three other movies that year along with Bride of the Gorilla. Inside Straight, MGM, Only the Valiant, Warner Brothers, Lawn as Arab with Gregory Peck, Behave Yourself, RKO with Hans the Twonky Conrad. Star Barbara Payton was given a brief tribute at her passing in FM 47 from November of 1967. Payton's Place. Barbara Payton, born 16 November 1927, died 8th of May 1967. She appeared with Lon Chaney Jr. and Raymond Burr in Bride of the Gorilla, 1951, story of a strange curse that turned a man into a jungle beast, Run for the Hills, a farce about a return to caveman days after the bomb of World War III, and Four-Sided Triangle, film of an amazing invention whereby she became a human duplicate. Co-star Tom Conway passed that same year and received this brief tribute in the same article. Tom Conway, born in Russia, 15th of September, 1904, died 22nd of April, 1967. 
made 280 movies. During his 25-year acting career, including I Walked with a Zombie, She Creature, Voodoo Woman, Twelve to the Moon, Seventh Victim, and The Cat People. Real name, Thomas Charles Sanders, brother of George Sanders. Kurt Siodmik was the writer-director of today's film. There was an interesting article about a television project he worked on featuring a famous monster. It was in FM 69 from September of 1970. In the house of Frankenstein was an unseen inhabitant, Kurt Siodmik. Did you miss him amidst Boris Karloff and John Carradine and George Zuko and J. Carol Nash and Glenn Strange? No, in fact, it would have been strange if you had seen him, for only his handiwork showed. The guessing game is over. In case you didn't know, he was the author, the same Siadmek from whose brain came the immortal Donovan's brain. He scripted the screenplay of House of Frankenstein. He directed the first episode of Tales of Frankenstein, the TV pilot for what it was hoped would be a whole series of science horror shockers based on Mary Shelley's world-famous creation. Hammer Films themselves sponsored the making of the first telefilm, which was written by the late horror author Henry Kuttner. Some of you know Kuttner for his authorship under a pen name of the paperback version of Dr. Cyclops, currently on the newsstands. The first segment of the Frankenstein series was called The Face in the Tombstone Mirror. It features, as Dr. Frankenstein, maker of monsters, the popular European horror star Anton Diffring, who had given such fine performances in Circus of Horrors, and the remake of The Man in Half Moon Street, The Man Who Could Cheat Death. The Frankenstein monster himself patterned but played without electrodes after the general broad image created on Boris Karloff by Jack Pierce was portrayed by tall, strong leading man Don Megawan. The Tombstone episode had a laboratory scene with the monster wrapped like a mummy and Anton Diffring doing his thing to galvanize life into the crazy quilt corpse that he had pieced together from bits of other bodies. Needless to say, Baron Frankenstein had finally to struggle for his life at the hands of the huge creation which he had brought into existence and, in between commercials, there were plenty of other frightening highlights. It seems a shame that Tales of Frankenstein lies in limbo in the realm of unwrought things. Maybe FM's reminder in these pages will encourage some producer to, like the natives of Frankensville, take up the torch, but not to destroy the monster, to resurrect him. Is that too much to ask? That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Is that too much to ask? Classic Fory, classic Famous Monsters, and another classic look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, courtesy of our friend Kenny. Thank you so much. And you know, we were talking a little bit through Facebook Messenger after you sent this to me about some of the other things that Kurt Siodmak was involved in and a few of the other projects here and there. And you know what? I have that Tales of Frankenstein pilot. It's basically a TV pilot, an unsold pilot. It didn't get picked up like you were saying. And it's in the public domain, which means let's find a way to sneak it into this weekend's Social Distance Saturday stream. What do you think? As for 13 Demon Street, I have yet to find a really good transfer of any of the surviving episodes of this TV series. There are some out there right now. They don't look that great. They're on YouTube. And because the series was done overseas, the subtitles in the country's language, I believe it was Sweden, you were saying, 
are hard-coded. They're burned into the video image itself. So not only do you have a, a less than stellar transfer, you've got the subtitles kind of shoved in there as well, which can sometimes be distracting for American and English-speaking viewers because your brain, your eyes immediately go down to the subtitles and try to interpret what you're seeing there. But because it's in a foreign language, it gets... It gives me a headache a little bit, I guess is what I'm getting at. So if I ever do find some really good transfers of these that have not been hard-coded with these subtitles, I'm more than happy to run them during Social Distance Saturday. You good with that? I'm good with that. I am a big fan of Bride of the Gorilla, and you're going to hear me talk a little bit about it here with this week's guest. So, so I'm just going to zip it before I get too carried away here. Thanks again, Kenny, for sending that in. And listeners, if you do join us at the Social Distance Saturday stream this weekend, and pretty much every weekend, Kenny has been contributing some amazing video segments as well. They're just as good as what he does here on the podcast. If you are a murderer, a blackmailer, or a thief, with a face as ugly as sin, and a mind as distorted as the devil's, then this man, he might help you. You could be beautiful, if you would trust me. Think twice before you join his circus of horrors. He'll change your face beyond recognition, but your soul he'll enslave for all time. Remember, he alone will know the secrets of your evil past, and never will he let you escape alive. Differing as Dr. Schuller, who rose to glory in a trail of blood. Erika Remberg as one of the girls whose face and fate he changed, but not her mind. <laughs> you can't frighten me. These others have been stupid, just plain stupid. What others? The late unlamented ones who have died so suddenly and so strangely. This is the little girl with a maimed face who was forever beholden to him. I am beautiful. Who grew from innocent childhood into trusting adolescence. I would do nothing to hurt you. I owe you so much. I love you so much. She was his one weakness. <laughs> this maniac who first healed and then killed. What just happened was an accident. Every second is filled with unexpected danger and terror. As a doctor, a specialist in horror, uses his sinister skill to make a circus of criminals perform at his bidding. This is the voice of a woman dreaming of her lover. Please, darling, come close. I love you so much. And this, a woman having a nightmare. Let me out! What are dreams? What do they mean? When you dream, you wander into another world where everything is strange and terrifying, 
When you dream, you too become a Nightwalker. The Nightwalker brings Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck together again in the film Shocker of the Year. Yes, I do have a lover. Tell me his name. I wish to God I could, but he's only a dream. And now, a warning from producer William Castle. Our new picture, The Nightwalker, may force you to dream of things you're ashamed to admit. If you can't stand your own dreams, don't see The Nightwalker. The Nightwalker. Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth Game! Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I love getting new voices in the mix. Now, he's been listening to the show for a while, and we've interacted on Facebook, and he's written in, and I even play the promo for his podcast occasionally here on the show, but I've never had a chance to have an honest-to-goodness back and forth with this week's guest and... The first question I have for you, sir, is have I been pronouncing your last name right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Why don't you try it again and I can tell you if you're correct or not. Well, well now you're going to put me on the spot. It's I Tom, am. Tom Gerganus? Gerganus? Gerganus, yes. Gerganus. Okay, good, good. Got it. Tom Gerganus, welcome to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Thanks, Derek. I'm happy, happy, happy to be on the show. Uh, three happies. There you go. Yeah. I like that. Oh, man, it's been a long time coming. We've been talking off and on uh, on Facebook and email about making this happen. I'm so glad that we finally have a chance to talk about a movie with one of my absolute favorite actors. But I want to hear a little bit more about you. Listeners don't know who you are. You've not been on the show before. You're a fellow podcaster. I am. I've been podcasting, I don't know, 
maybe five or six years now, maybe. I have a podcast called the Go Forth and Game podcast. It's a podcast where I interview board game and card game designers and publishers, and we talk about their games and how they come up with the ideas and work on mechanics and different things like that. And occasionally we'll, you know, review a couple of games or stuff like that. But it's mostly a interview show. So I, I'm, it's a area that I've fallen in love with. I love board games. I'm trying to design them myself. It's fun talking with people of like mind, as you know. Oh, yeah. And you and I need to talk about game design at some point off mic because I, I have some ideas that I think are in line with yours. So oh, sweet. we should definitely chat some more. There's also a website that goes along with the podcast over at goforthandgame.com. And one of my favorite features on the website is that you've looked at some of the movies that we love here on the show. Yep. And talked about how they might relate to game design. That's right. The part that you're talking about is called the giant hula monster. And <laughs> which, it, which I love, by the it, way, that's great. It was one of those weird things that, that uh, autocorrect happened to come on. Um, my friend Ryan Sanders and I, who who's on the podcast with me occasionally, and um, we also run a website called Adventures in Game Schooling. But we were talking back and forth, uh, texting back and forth, and we were going to watch the giant Gila monster at the same time. So, you know, kind of like we do on Social Distance Saturday. We go to whatever Roku website and stream it and text back and forth and talk about the movie. And we were doing that, and he texted back, and his autocorrect changed Gila to Hula. So I was like, oh, my gosh, giant Hula monster. I love that so much. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it's Godzilla with a with a grass skirt, you know. Yes. Um, so that kind of stuck, and I, I I use that on the website when I want to talk about monster movies and and the things that relate here with our monster kidness. Uh, I use that heading, and I'm working on a, a design diary right now. I challenged myself last year to design a game based on a public domain monster movie. Oh, yeah? And that's what the giant hula monster has been talking about. I got one that's probably pretty good shape that started out as a Mole People-themed game, which Mole People's one of my top five movies of all time. That one worked, went actually strangely designed, came together really quickly. Um, So I'm shifting over to something else. And I'm currently looking around for a, an inspiration to see what the next one's going to be. Have you designed and released games before? or is this? I do not have a board game or a card game release. I have a couple of published play sets for Fiasco, the role-playing game. Oh, okay. Um, I designed one or two myself, and then friends of mine also designed one. We did the News Channel 6 play set. Uh, I did a reconstruction play set, and then I can't remember the third one. Jason Morningstar and Bully Pulpit published Fiasco, which is probably one of the best role-playing games out there, if not the best one for just general fun and craziness. I'm not familiar with Fiasco. I'm going to have to look into that. You are going to have to get that game. (laughs) I haven't thrown dice for a role-playing game in years. It's just one of those things I haven't had time for or have had a group to do with, to do it with uh, for a very long time. I'm in the same boat. It's, it's hard to get something going. 
I've got, you know, scenarios and things built for a couple of different systems that I just can never get to. But, you you know, that's because we're doing other fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, if this whole sleep thing, if I could figure out how to get that out of my schedule, then maybe I'd have time for all the role-playing games and no, the rest wouldn't. of the monster. No, I wouldn't. You're right. I'd watch more monster movies and podcasts more. But still, and, and that's one of the things that I like about the board game side of things that you've been uh, highlighting on your website and your podcast is that with a role-playing game, a lot of times it's it's an ongoing campaign. You've know, you got to get a group of people together to all agree to a schedule and, and whatever. But board games... A lot of times we're just one and done. You have yep. a board game night, bust it out, get the people around the table, and you're good to go. Brenda and I, we haven't played anything lately, but, I mean, we love playing board games together. Well, you're going to have to come on my show. Oh, and yeah? we can talk. Yeah. I know you guys have Horrified, right? Oh, yeah. All right. So why don't we, at some point later in the year, you can come on and we're going to talk about Horrified. I'm all in, man. I love okay, that game. Cool. It's it's amazing. Game is so cool. The Monster Kids, you should go buy it. It's a fantastic game. It's a Universal Monsters licensed game, and it's a co-op game, so everybody plays against the monsters. It's fantastic. I love that too. That's as much as I love playing board games and, and video games with my wife. My favorite type of games to play with her are the co-op games yep. where we get to kind of team up and work together. Cause that's, you know, we're a team in real life anyway. So let's bring it to the game table and horrified. Uh, it, it's fantastic. I've talked about it here on the show in the past, not a lot, but I've talked about it a little bit. And every once in a while I show uh, a commercial for it as well yep. on the social distance Saturday stream. It is so cool. It so is cool. a fantastically designed game to the guys that Prospero Hall hit it out of the park with that one. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So cool. Everybody go out and buy a copy. You can get it yeah. at Target. Yeah. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes if you want to buy it online as well. That's right. Go through Monster Kid Radio and throw some pennies at Derek. There you go. I won't, I won't say no to that. Absolutely. Well, well, speaking of games, yes. and you mentioned this before I hit record, there is a game that we play here on the show. And listeners, if you are just now joining us, or I have forgotten to do it for several weeks in a row, which is possible sometimes, we have a game that we play here on the show called The Classic Five. It is a deck of cards here, and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. The questions are all about monster movies, classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get the conversation going, call it an icebreaker, or, or extend your conversation long into the night. I can't tell you how many nights at Monster Bash we've been up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning in the lobby playing with just so many people having a good time talking about these films. The Classic Five! Are you, Tom, ready to play the Classic Five? My life has been building to this moment. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I always say there's no wrong answers, but now I'm feeling pressure. <laughs> <laughs> go, Dan. All right. Go. All right, here we go. Card number one. Uh, who never appeared in a Universal Monster movie, but you wish they had? Who should have been in the Universal? <sighs> Atwell was in them. And oh, you're stumping me. Um, uh -oh. I would no, no, no. I'm going to pull one out that nobody else may have thought about. I would have loved to see Cary Grant in one. Wow. I think that would have been a really interesting casting move. And I would have liked to have seen what he could have done as maybe a Dr. Frankenstein or uh, as Griffin, you know, something a little more crazy wow. than what we've seen him do. And he had that voice. He you did. Know, that that uh, 
I forget what they call it, but that accent, it's not really an yeah. accent, you know, that, that voice, that, that New England kind of style of delivery that would have been awesome in like a mad scientist type role. There was talk, and if I remember right, it might have been Hammer's Phantom of the Opera at one point. There's been some, there was talk about him coming over and doing a Hammer film. I, I don't know how legit those conversations really, the, yeah. the reports of that conversations really are, but... Man, it would have been neat to see him do some genre stuff. I mean, yeah. He's a good actor. He's got some charisma. So, yeah. Hey, I love it. I love it. Card number two. Here we go. Uh, this comes from the Hammer expansion deck. Not counting the original, which is your favorite Hammer Dracula film? Oh, I'm going to have to jump in your car and say AD 1972. Dracula is back. In the first now Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972. And with this new motion picture, an unrivaled event, horror ritual. You will participate with the Transylvanian vampire himself, swearing you in as an honorary member of the Count Dracula Society. He comes back from the living dead to extend you his personal invitation. Join me in the horror ritual. You heard it with your own ears from his blood-red lips. Get your honorary membership card when you see the new Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972, and participate in the horror ritual. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Yeah, I've been what you, you convinced me. You know, I hadn't seen it before you guys started talking about it, and then I, I went and watched it, and I was like, this is pretty cool. This is yeah, it's got some groovy. Yeah. And and Carolyn Monroe's in it. So, you know, that that takes it up a notch. It's got some groovy. I like it. That's that's to go on the poster. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. Oh, how are you on your kaiju? Uh yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Let's find out. Okay. All right. Well, this card comes from the kaiju expansion. Who would really win in a fight? Godzilla or Gamera? Oh, Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Gamera fan. I don't I don't know why it is and it may be because I saw Gamera when I was maybe 11, 12. It was one of the ones where it was very kid focused and it just didn't sit well with me. So, I've been revisiting Gamera and I have a better appreciation for Gamera now, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a Godzilla guy all the way. Even my wife likes Godzilla, so you know, that's a great thing. Gamera can fly, though. I mean, he's got, he can get the high ground, right? Well, you know, Godzilla did that, that flying kick thing one time, so that's not Oh, too- no. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, are you familiar with the YouTube series Death Battle? No, I'm not. It's all fan done. It's animated, and they take two characters from pop culture and break down their strengths, their weaknesses, and then do a fight between them. Okay. I stumbled across it when YouTube, for whatever reason, recommended I watch a death battle between Wonder Woman and She-Ra. Oh, wow. uh, and then I just I fell into their rabbit hole. And they have a Godzilla versus Gamera installment. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. It's kind of fun. Cool. I'll check that out. Right on. All right. Card number, that was what, number three? So card yep. number four. No, no. Twilight's- this is number three. Oh, this is number three. Thank no, you. no. You're right. You're right. No, this is number one. Oh, okay. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we could do this all night. We, we probably could. Yeah. Uh, Twilight Zone or Night Gallery? I have to say Twilight Zone because I've not seen enough Night Gallery to, to make an opinion on that. Okay. I need to see more of it. And I keep missing Comet when they're running, you know, the Night Gallery uh, all day on 
Saturdays a lot, but I just have not seen enough of it. Comet, and then there was another channel that was running it too for a little while, but I forget what it was. Was it on MeTV? It I may have been MeTV, yeah. Uh, I love them both, so yeah. It's hard for me to pick. Kind of depends what kind of mood I'm in, I suppose. Twilight Zone feels a little bit more pure Sterling. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We're Sterling, whereas Night Gallery, you can tell the studio is a little bit more involved. But still, it's good stuff. Anyway. Cool. All right. Uh, what is this? Card number nine, ten, whatever? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, which movie do you prefer? The Monolith Monsters or Monster on the Campus? Monolith Monsters. Chief, you got to believe me. You're going to think I'm blind. Rocks, but- Joe? Towers of rock crashing down and then growing up again? Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps a part of the process is the absorption of silica, taking it right out of whatever it comes into contact with, like human beings. Just like Ben, their bodies are turned to stone. What was this amazing power that could turn people into stone? that could suddenly turn inanimate rocks, stones, monoliths into growing, spreading, expanding monsters, threatening to engulf whole towns and cities, to bury all civilization under an immensity of weight beyond all calculation. The natural slope of the valley floor is bringing them right down here. And once they break through to the other side of the mountains, there'll be no stopping them ever. Look, all we're asking you to do is save her life. I can't cope with something I don't even understand. Ready! Hit it now! I remember seeing both of them on on a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night on TV. But the monolith monsters impressed me because they were it's just such a different type of monster. It was original. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is really cool. Now, the story's not fantastic, but the idea of it it's kind of cool it's got a it's a force of nature kind of thing you know it's like a flood Mm -hmm. or or some other kind of catastrophe film with some horror thrown in on top of it well i I agree with you i'm not questioning like no wrong answer yeah yeah. i'm right there with you i love the monolith monster it's great so so good i like monster on the campus it's good monolith monster so unique so different some lovecraftian elements in there which of course is going to get me going yeah that's very cool okay i really don't know where we are at this point i did kind of lose track I'll ask you one more, just because. Oh, this also comes from the Universal deck. House of Dracula or House of Frankenstein? Uh, House of Frankenstein. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. So, All right. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. We can ask this question for the movie we're going to talk about later. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, no. What were you going to say? Now I don't know where you're going with this. (laughs) No, no, no. You're going to have to wait. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say that's it. That's the classic five or six or seven or whatever. Uh, and I know I always say there's no wrong answers, but Tom, you win. Yay. <laughs> I'm so happy. My heart is bursting. It's growing three sizes. Uh, you might want to have that looked at when we're yeah. done talking about this week's movie. You missed the best. <laughs> you missed the best question. Uh-oh. Okay. What role should Lugosi have played that Karloff played? Mm. I've only heard one person answer with the answer that I came up with, and, and I'll tell you what my answer is in a second. So I'll go see for a Karloff role. Okay. Yes. See, the problem is that when I start thinking about Lugosi and Karloff, my brain immediately goes to their collaborations. Yep. And I know there's yep. so much more out there to pick from. You know, I really like the Devil Commands, and I wonder how Lugosi would have handled that. That would have been really interesting. That's a 
a neat movie. And again, thanks to you, I had not seen it before, and you made me aware of it, and I watched it, and it was it was very good. Yeah, and I think it was uh, David Annandale that did that with me. Yes, I believe and, you're correct. Yeah, I'm so glad he brought that to the table. Yeah. Well, what was your answer going to be? The narrator for How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> wow. And I believe <laughs> that Scott and Tracy, that was Tracy's answer, and I was like, you stole my answer. Oh, man. Can you imagine that? Oh, man. I've heard him read like Poe. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to imagine what that would sound like. Speaking of YouTube earlier, I stumbled across another YouTube channel. I forget the name of it, but they're using some Google AI whatever to create this library of voices and vocalizations of, of people, famous people, for example, and then have them perform or read certain poetry. There's a uh, one YouTube video is the notorious B.I.G. reading Lovecraft, which is really bizarre. Wow. But <laughs> now I want to take Lugosi's voice, feed it into this system, and then have it spit back out how the Grinch stole Christmas just to hear what it sounds like. If you do that, please let me know. <laughs> I think it would be awesome. It would be awesome. It's probably above my uh, my pay grade in terms of like knowledge and how to do it. But, man, it would be really cool to hear. So, listeners, if anybody knows how to do it. Yes, please. Derek and I are waiting. We need this. I'll settle for somebody doing a really good impersonation, really. It's probably going to be cheaper, but still, it would be awesome. I would try, but I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, there's a reason why I paid somebody to do my voice of Dracula for the spoiler <laughs> warning. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. My promo is as close as I'm going to get to that. So I love the promo, though. I love it. It's, it's fun. so cool. It's so right. cool. That was a right, classic so, five. Plus some. Plus the classic <laughs> seven. Or It's whatever. a new thing. It's a, yeah, you know, Lucky Seven something. I, there's something in there. Yeah. Anyway. Ride of the Gorilla with Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney, Raymond Burr, and Tom Conway. The dramatic story of a strange curse that brought terror to a man and frenzy to a woman in love. Don't go away. You do love me, don't you? That's all I need to know. We are standing in my way, and Dina's. We love each other. What are you going to do about it? Did you see this animal? Yes, I have seen the animal. It walks in his hind legs. Like a man? No, like a beast that walks like a man. Oh, let's go back, Bonnie, please. I'll never go back. Never. Stop. Go on. Why don't you shoot? You can't miss. Bonnie! Bride of the Gorilla, I have something to admit to you, sir. I thought I had seen this one, and I hadn't. I was confusing it with another movie. So it was nice and fresh. I'm happy to introduce you to a new movie. Man, I started watching it, and I'm like, this is not the movie that... Oh, okay. This is totally not what I thought it was going <laughs> to be. Uh, I was confusing it with um, another Raymond Burr genre film. Uh, Grill at Large. That's it? Yeah. Yeah, I was confusing it with that one. He did that after this one. So... I was quite impressed and excited to watch it. I actually watched it this afternoon before lunch, so it is very fresh in my mind. Very and good. What a cool little movie. I, I had no idea that this is reportedly Kurt Siodmak's first film as a director. 
That's correct. Yes. It and it kind of shows a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's interesting cuz I was researching this this movie I didn't think anything about it. I found it on I think I watched it um on Dr. Drex's channel um Betamax TV. Oh, okay, on Roku? Yeah, yeah on Roku. I'm flipping through. I want to find something to put in the background and I flipped it on and didn't really pay that much attention to it until, you know, maybe a quarter of the way in. I was like, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is a, a really interesting movie. It surprised the heck out of me because I was mm-hmm. figuring, you know, a little poverty row kind of thing. And it would just be, you know, because it's only an hour long. Right. And I saw it. And I said, hey, it's got Chaney in it. It's got Raymond Burr in it. It could be pretty good. And I was really surprised by it. It's got a great cast. You know, Cheney and Burr, of course, are right. awesome. Barbara Payton is really good. And it's kind of tragic how her life kind of ended up. But she's done some really neat genre work over the years. Even did some work for Hammer with Four-Sided Triangle. Right, right. Uh, so she's great. Plus, you got Tom Conway. And I can't get oh, enough yeah. of that guy. Oh, he, Tom Conway's the man. He is fun. I recognized his face. But mm-hmm. I don't know from which movies. I didn't look into him as much as I did uh, the, the main character's or the main actors in this. But yeah, it's just a nice little tight movie. It's got some really interesting camera art and, and a cool little story. It takes place in South America on a mm-hmm. rubber plantation, the Van Gelder rubber plantation. And we're introduced through a narration as we travel through the jungle. Lon Chaney's character is doing this narration about the jungle and it's wild and it's primitive and all this. And he says, and this is a story of how the jungle sought justice itself and then you pan into a ruined plantation house and the shot transitions into the same place but in its heyday so we're going back in time and taro cheney's character who's the constable is telling the story for us a lot of people out there that say, you know, I've listened to Karloff read the phone book. I've said it on a recent episode of MKR. Lugosi has an incredible voice as well. But hearing Cheney open this film makes me wish there were more examples of him doing narrations and, and these kinds of things. You hear this, you hear him doing the song for like Spider Baby, that sort of thing. I would have loved to have heard more of Lon Cheney performing as a narrator or orator. I thought it was really good. Yeah, he did a great job. There's a uh, emotion in it and he's acting. He's putting his self into it. He did a really good job on this film. He has a small part, but he gives everything. Yeah. So we're introduced to the characters next. We find Dina, the wife of the plantation owner. Uh, Dina's Barbara Payton's character. And then Barney Chavez, who is Raymond Burr's character. He's the plantation manager. And they have an exchange and we see that there's some, you know, some heat going on there. And then uh, Van Gelder and Dr. Veet come in. Van Gelder's the plantation guy. He's an older gentleman. Dr. Veet is the local doctor. And they have an exchange, and Barney and Van Gelder um, have words. Uh, Barney apparently is not a very good plantation manager and not a very good person in general. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> He gets fired right on the spot, even though he insists that he has to have his dinner first. <laughs> we we also are introduced to one of the other characters, a little slightly peripheral but very important character, Al Long, who is the old lady housekeeper person. I don't know. She you you never really get a feel for what she actually does there. She's just kind of there. 
yeah, is she a servant? Is she a maid? Is she, you know, what is her role? Which I think works though for what it is. I mean, it, it yes. adds extra mystery to what she's doing there. Right. And so Van Gelder and Barney have words and Barney storms out. And we also find out a little more about Barney at this point, because as he leaves, one of the, the servant girl, Lorena, catches him as he's going out and says, you know, don't leave, don't leave. I'm coming with you. And he's plays her off as, you know, he's this cad. He's, he just uses women as he needs and throws them away. Van Gelder and Barney meet later in the garden. And Barney tells him what's going to happen, that he's going to take Dino away with him. And they have not really a fight. Van Gelder punches Barney once. Barney kind of looks at him and is getting ready to smack him and just knocks him down and the sn- a snake bites him. Barney's seen the snake and snake bites him and Van Gelder dies. Yeah, he just kind of leaves him there to... Right, he just watches him die um, yep. from the snake bite. Unknown to him, though, is how long has been watching this whole thing. So she's seen everything. And she comes over and does her, um, uh, what, witch woman kind of work. Yeah, I was a little unclear there. But yeah. again, I think it adds to the mystery. It doesn't take you out of it. But yeah, she does this stuff with this plant, and she takes the leaves and places it on his eyes. And for what the resulting effect of whatever this ritual was, it seems a little weird to me. Yeah. But it's something I've never seen before either. So She basically puts a curse on Barney. Mm-hmm. That he's gonna. He's an animal, and he's going to become an animal. So he's going to uh, live up to his true nature, and we don't know how that's going to come about. But she's thrown this curse on him, mm-hmm. and immediately cut to an inquisition or a, an inquiry. I guess that's a better word into <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah into the death of Van Gelder, and this is where we get to see Lon Chaney as Taro, the the constable. And police chief of the area, and he's given the third degree to Barney, and um, Barney's like, I don't know what's going. On. I wasn't there. I didn't, you know. And he denies everything. Yeah, we we had discussion, but he was still, you know, fine. I didn't kill him, but right. you know, Tyro no, knows or thinks differently. But Al Long actually backs Barney up on this. She says, No, he didn't kill him. I saw it, and I didn't, you know. That kind of things, and he was uh, the his alibi is Dina. She says he was in his in her room with her the whole time, and Along says, "Yeah, that's right." So we now we know something nefarious is really going on with the whole situation. What's going to happen? There's a shoe that's getting ready to fall. Yeah. So then there's a nice, interesting, hard cut to the wedding of Dina and Barney. He <laughs> didn't waste any time. Not not. I, I'm wondering if they just. Wrapped it up and and then Taro performed the ceremony right there. It was <laughs> the the cut was uh, a little abrupt and rather shocking, but you know they get married and things are going along okay. And Barney gets ready to sign the marriage certificate and he looks down and his hands are turning into these beastie looking claw hand things and he freaks out and runs out of the room and. So we see now that something's happening and the curse is starting to take effect somehow or another. Right. Um, we know the title ahead. of the movie, so we know what the curse is, but it's right. interesting to see 
the struggle there. Like he doesn't know what's going on. He just freaks out and runs out of the room, which of course scares everybody else too. Like what's wrong with Barney? Yeah. Yep. And, and Burr does a really good job pulling that off. I thought that mm-hmm. the, and the camera work on that was, was quite nice too. Um, runs out, the doctor goes, you know, and then he says, you know, no, no, I'm fine. Fine. Later that night, Barney starts, um, you know, it's their wedding night. They're up and they're getting ready to have their wedding night. And, he starts talking uh, strange, to so, so to speak, about the jungle and how he can hear every creature walking around out there and the rain, the, the dripping and, and all the sounds for miles and miles and miles. And Dina's freaking out at this point. Don't know what, what in the world's <laughs> going on with him. You know? yeah. And he runs out into the jungle and leaves her there. Um, Burr, Burr does this really well too. He does. Like he's talking about this, and that's one of the things that I love about this entire film is that everybody's taking it so seriously. Yes. For a movie with a title "Bride of the Gorilla," you'd think, well, okay, we're just gonna have a poverty row romp here. But no, everybody's taking it so seriously, and Burr has mastered this thousand-yard stare yeah. that he pulls out in this when he's talking about the jungle. He just has this look on his face, and his eyes are so big. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's he's really bringing it in this movie. Um, you know, this is an early movie for him. This was until what, 1951. So mm-hmm. he hadn't hit hit the fame yet. He was known for playing heavies at this point. Um, and, you know, this is a it, he's really the star of the movie, even mm-hmm. though he's not top build. He's you know, he's the main character and he's he's doing a great job. I mean, he really pulls it off. Um, so he runs off into the m- night. And they find him the next morning and he's out of his head, t- crazy talking. And, you know, we, we I don't remember if we see what he sees during this episode. I don't, I think that comes a little later, but I'm not completely sure. But, yeah. There's a point where he looks in a mirror and yeah. sees uh, the girl well, looking back at him. Yeah. It was know? in, yeah. In the, in the water. Yeah, oh yeah. That too. Pun- yep. c- because uh, the original t- uh, Siad Max, title for the story was called the face in the water oh really yes huh there's some really cool connections with some uh other genre stuff that we'll we should uh discuss once we wrap this up with the synopsis um sure he runs out and you know he they find him later he's talking out of his head and, and nobody knows what's going on and they finally get him he gets calmed down and goes to sleep and the next night does the same thing runs out into the woods and he's more and more and more called to the woods or to the jungle. And Dina's freaking out. She doesn't know what's going on. Dr. Veet doesn't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on except Alon. And, and we don't see her that much anymore. No, she kind of put everything in motion and then just kind of yep. sits She's, back and watches. Right. Dead livestock starts turning up. And I think finally mm-hmm. a dead person happens and so we get another nice scene with Lon Chaney and Dr. V, Tom Conway. And they go out to investigate this. And we finally get a description from one of the natives of what the creature is. It's a local legend, they think, called the Sukarath. He describes this red creature with a man's head and an alligator's teeth. Okay, this is just really, really bizarre. We haven't actually seen the creature yet, ex- except for in the water of ref- reflection of Barney, and it looks more like a gorilla to us. 
Had you ever heard of this kind of creature before? I had not, but I looked it up, and it's actually a South American legend, but it doesn't oh. look anything like what they describe. It's more of a manticore-type creature from what I could gather. Oh, okay. You know, it's a, a lion with a man's face and a big, wide, broad tail, and apparently it carries its young on its back. Um, hmm. So very different from, from this. And you see, I might probably heard the name somewhere. The movie rolls along, and Barney keeps getting crazier and crazier and we get some really cool shots of him going through the jungle from his point of view with gorilla hands pushing the jungle foliage away and and the camera moving through the the camera work on this is actually really pretty good in a lot of places it's it's very good considering again the kind of movie this is right there's some really high level work going on here charles van inger I believe it was a director of photography. Mm-hmm. What was really cool, I thought, was he did a, a, such a really fantastic job of making the jungle look real. But it was a set. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it was, yeah. And, and, but it looks a lot like a jungle. Now, granted, they cut in a lot of stock footage of jungle stuff. You know, you get the, your requisite black leopard and your boa constrictor every now and then and some monkeys and caimans in the water, sure. but that kind of stuff. But the actual camera work, I mean, like at the beginning when rolling into that panning into that dilapidated plantation, the camera stops on the ceiling fan that has fallen onto the floor and the transition transitions into a shadow of the fan working in the old plantation before it was dilapidated and then we see dina dancing some interesting transition but the the point of view stuff really stood out to me the most oh yeah that was really really cool the dp uh charles van inger he did a lot yep. but abbott and costello meet frankenstein he did that he did a couple of the sherlock holmes films for universal so he had a style and he's really flexing it all here on screen here like you said he makes that jungle location look so much bigger than it really is right you know, things are, are going along. Barney's, he's over the edge now, and they're trying to figure out what's going on exactly with him. Finally, Barney goes out one night, and Dina decides to follow him. And everybody ends up following everybody, and Barney grabs her, you know, and now we have the bride of the gorilla. And mm-hmm. we see the gorilla in full glory at this point, whereas before we were still um, wondering. and. He takes her off, and there's the chase in the jungle as Veet and Taro are, are following behind. And a really odd thing happens right here at the end. And we're, uh, you know, you're, I know you're playing, going to play the spoiler thing. So we're going. Oh yeah, <laughs> we, we're way past that, anyways. The Barney gorilla climbs the tree with Dina, and then Taro and Vate come up and shoot up in the tree to shoot. You know, no regard to the Dina's up there, too. Yeah. And she falls out. We don't know if she's actually dead from being shot, but then uh, the gorilla falls out on top of her, and they're both dead. And then we see Barney rolls over to a dream, and we see the reflection of the gorilla, and he's changed back to Barney. And Taro and Vita standing there wondering what in the world just happened. <laughs> now, there's... A lot of really neat 
comparisons or links in this film to probably the most well-known Siad Mac film for us monster kids, The Wolfman. Oh, yeah. It's very reminiscent of The Wolfman. The story structure, even right down to having you know, an older woman who might be able to do some mystical stuff is here as well. And there's been a lot yep. of arguments made regarding the original Wolfman. Is it all in Talbot's head? Is he really turning into a wolf or is he having a mental breakdown? And this is what he's imagining. You get that even more in this film. Yes. Because the gorilla, while we see it interact with Barbara Payton's character with Dina a couple of times, it doesn't really interact with any other character at all. Right. It could very well just be him kind of losing his mind, losing a grip on reality here, uh, either because of what he did leading to the death of Dina's first husband, something going on in the jungle, or it could very well be a magical thing. Maybe he is turning into a gorilla. It doesn't really say one way or the other, and I really appreciated that about this film in a way that the Wolfman never really quite goes to that extreme right? to, to make it that open. Yeah, and I agree with you. That's what attracted me to the movie and surprised me is that they tread that line really well. And you don't Mm -hmm. absolutely know for sure until the very end of the movie. And even then, you're like, well, maybe I watched it the first time and I went back almost immediately. I think it was a couple hours later and watched it again just to make you know, make sure I had picked up on that correctly. And the cool thing was when I was, I was looking into this movie a little bit more, you mentioned the connection with Wolfman and uh, Siad Mac being the writer of both. And he said that that's how he wanted this movie originally, that you would have never seen the creature, only through Barney's eyes as Barney was seeing himself you would be left with that question of whether he really did change or not. You know, if it was a physical, actually physical change, or if it was all just Barney going, you know, ape. Ha ha. <laughs> um, and, and please forgive me. Um, but in reading uh, some of the interviews and stuff with Siad Mac, and you touched on this, that, you know, he wanted it to be about Barney's guilt driving him insane and the only way he was able to deal with it is he rationalized that he had basically killed van gelder um and he had that guilt front but he rationalized that animals don't have guilt when they kill so if he becomes an animal he would not have any guilt and we see him embracing that idea throughout the movie as he's becoming more and more you know he he at at some point, Dina's like, we need to go. We need to just get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving. He Complete 180-degree turn from the beginning of the movie. He wanted nothing more than to get out of there at the beginning of the movie. And now even this woman that he loves and is married cannot get him to leave the jungle now. And he won't even live in the house anymore. He's out in the jungle pretty much all the time now. A lot of like you said, speculation about the Wolfman, that this movie may actually be an early treatment, the story and the early script of the Wolfman, and with just the characters changed. And Siamak says in a couple of places, I picked up the, uh, I'll give Tom Weaver some credit. Um, He did his uh, Scripts of Crips series. He did one of those 
on this movie and I picked it up because I liked the movie so much. I wanted to know mm-hmm. some more about it. There's some interview in there with Siad Mac and Siad Mac said he would have liked the Wolfman had done the same thing where we would never see him actually change. It would all been left as a does he or didn't he kind of thing. You know, right. th- this this movie plays a lot more with until the mm-hmm. very end of the movie. Like I said, he didn't want the actual gorilla in the movie, He w- but the production company said, no, we have to have a monster. So it would yeah. have been a very different movie without the gorilla in there. It would have been very interesting to see if he'd have been allowed to make the movie that he wanted to make. Now, with the scripts from the Crypt book series, a lot of times they actually include a copy of the, the actual script. Is that in? It is in here. Uh, it's very obvious from uh, this, and there's a, a website. I can't remember the name of the website, but the blog article was called Siad Mac on Siad Mac. Okay. You know, it's an autobiographical interview, and it was really interesting. He was an interesting person, and we know him from a but he did a lot of genre stuff as as a writer. Yeah. You know, you know we know The Wolfman. Uh, he did A Walk with a Zombie, The Ape. Abbott, he wrote Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donovan's Brain, which was, apparently was his favorite and his highlight. I didn't know he wrote Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which was interesting. And Son of Dracula, House of Frankenstein also. Invisible Man Returns, you know, to go back to Vincent Price as the Invisible Man, you know. Yep. He did so much work for Universal, so he much did. genre work. But then he also did some television towards the end of his career yep. and mm-hmm. just really neat stuff. The cool thing when I was looking at this is he apparently he and Cheney were pretty decent friends. They mm-hmm. were actually thinking about forming a production company at one time just before this film came out. And they were going back into horror, and Cheney was going to come back in as the Lizard Man. <laughs> okay. They were seriously looking into starting a production company together to bring Cheney back, based off of you know his Wolfman fame and Siad Mac's Wolfman fame. That would have been really interesting. Cheney said he wanted the character to be different and sympathetic, but more of a hero kind of a thing, which would have been, I, I would have liked to have seen that. And it makes you wonder how that would have affected his career later on. Because yeah. at this point in time, he was having issues. You don't see it in this film. He did a great job in the film, but, you know, and apparently on the set, he was fine. The rumor or the, the story is that he would, he fixed uh, supper for everybody every now and then, you know, he'd get in the kitchen and cook for the cast and the crew, but that he and Burr didn't apparently get along very well, but that was just hearsay from what I could tell. I saw that too, that, that Burr and Cheney really kind of didn't get along. But you also hear that about Cheney and Evil and Anchors and all the right. movies they did together for Universal. You couldn't tell. No. And I'm sure part of that was because Cheney is just that good. Yeah. And of course, Burr is amazing as well. You, he really. Oh, he's great. He's and while really they aren't, good. They're on opposite sides, right? Yeah. You know, Burr yep. killed somebody or let somebody die, and Cheney is investigating and trying to figure it out and didn't thinks he had something to do with it. They still have a really neat kind of chemistry back and forth with each other. It's really well done. It, it really is. Speaks to, speaks to the quality of their ability, I think, their, their talent. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice we get to see the talent. They are not holding back anything. They're both taking this seriously 
they're doing fant- I was really impressed with Raymond Burr's performance in this. To be a small budget film, and he could have just, granted it's at the beginning of his career, but he could have just phoned it in and got his paycheck and gone home. He really put his heart into this and really carries the film and does a great job of making you really wonder whether or not he's going crazy or if he's really changing or if there's some kind of curse on him or what he pulls it off so well that was it just really surprised me when i saw this the first time i'm very glad that we decided to do this because this was a really interesting and really neat little movie i think i would have liked it even more if it was called the face in the the mirror uh like you were saying was it face in the mirror face Face in in the the water. water yeah yeah that I think would have added that extra edge of, well, maybe he really isn't, but I totally understand changing it to something as, uh, you know, almost as, I don't want to say exploitive, but very kind of, Ooh, check out the monster movie. It's Bride yeah. of the Gorilla with Lon Chaney. You know, I totally get that. Yeah. The ballyhoo yeah. involved with that. It's kind of hard to, to pitch it the same way with face in the water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that doesn't have the, quite the sensational aspect as Bride of the Gorilla. Uh, And it's not the bride of the gorilla, it's bride of the gorilla. So, yeah. Barbara Payton, you know, mentioned her earlier and and how she had her problems. Uh, And this is something that I learned years ago when I was doing the 1951 Downplays podcast with uh, Scott and Casey Criswell. She had her issues, alcoholism, addiction, very poor money management, a lot of very poor life decisions, terrible stuff, you know. And despite all that, I don't see that here on screen. No. Supposedly she started having problems in the 50s, but I don't pick up on any of that here. I think she does not just fine, but really well for the kind of character that she is, you know, and and I really enjoyed watching her. This is the last film she did in America before she went over to England to do some films for Hammer, came back here. But yeah, she went over and did some films for Hammer, uh, like two or three movies over there. Four-Sided Triangle, I mentioned. uh, Bad Blonde is the other Uh one, uh which is one of uh, Hammer's film noir-ish type movies. And we we talked about both of those on the Hammer Films podcast, the 1951 Down Place at one point. Uh, And then she came back over here and then started having even more problems. But I don't pick up on any of that here on the, on the screen. I think the helplessness she has in the loveless marriage at the beginning of the movie, right? You know, she really doesn't like her husband. Uh, The love that she really does show as kind of misplaced as it kind of is towards the end. She really does love Burr. She really does love Barney. Right. And you pick up on that too. And really she had an out the doctor played by Tom Conway. Yep. He admits he's in love with her. She has an out. She can leave Barney, go off with the doctor, not worry about any of this other stuff. You know, start over. But right. she doesn't leave her man. Right. And, and I really appreciated that, too. Yeah, she does a, a really good job of this. And, and like you said, she had a bad reputation. She was known as a party girl. But she was an up-and-coming starlet. I mean, she was a universal contract Person And she had started getting some bigger roles. And then her lifestyle kind of soured the heads at Universal. And they kind of wanted just to get rid of her because she was getting a lot of bad press. And they loaned her to Jack Broder Productions for this movie. So she was loaned out from Universal oh, okay. for this. And she didn't particularly like that, according to Tom Weaver. Um mm-hmm. But you don't see that in the movie. You're absolutely right. She pulls the character. The character doesn't have a lot of depth 
but she does a lot with it. And it's like you said, she's in this, you know, loveless marriage to start with. She is attracted to Barney and they have growing feelings for each other. And, and, and she stands by her man at the end. Absolutely. She's trying to save him. And there were suggestions that they wanted to shoot a different ending where she survives and goes off with Tom Conway's character. But, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but um, I think Siad Mack, he did put his foot down on that one. Hmm. The interesting thing I wrote down, and it didn't occur to me until after I had watched this about five times, that there aren't really any good people in this movie. Everybody is flawed in some way. You know, there's not a, a real hero at the end. It's kind of sad, and it's different from what you would have expected from a monster movie coming out of the early 50s. It does feel like one big tragic tale for everybody involved. It, it really does. The only person who really seems to come away from it clean would be Cheney's character, but yeah. even then, yeah. But, you know, he's got to deal with these killings. He's at least shot one person and maybe caused the death of another one. But, sure. you know. He still failed. He still failed. He still failed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't really catch that until after several watchings and was like, you know, that's a little bit brave for the time for a monster movie in the 50s. Again, and it harkens a little bit back to the Wolfman. You still kind of get that same feeling with the Wolfman, although there are good characters in the Wolfman. You know, we sure. have we have hero type characters. This one you don't. I don't think except for Tyro, Chaney's character, everybody ends up sad if not dead. <laughs> and, and, and I'm laughing at that. That's terrible. But no, you're absolutely right. Who would have thought a movie with a sensationalist title, Bride of the Gorilla, would have this much depth yeah. and, and, and substance to it? For just over an hour, you're getting something that you and I could probably talk about for hours, right. just really kind of analyzing all the little bits and pieces here, what this particular camera shot means, why is there shadow there, why is he the only one who can see the the hands, why are the hands looking that way to begin with, that's not, an, you know, just a lot yeah. of stuff going on here that really, I think, warrants looking at this movie more than once. I was going to make a comment, you said, after the fifth time you finally got this or whatever, I was going to make a joke. You had to watch this movie five times, but really you could watch this movie five times and yeah. get so much more out of it every time. Absolutely. I've, I've uh, experienced that myself. It's like the first time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute. Did that do what I th- – would? is that what really happened? I got to mm-hmm. see. I got to go back and watch this again just to see. And it was like, wow, for a first production of, of a new production company and a first-time director – and he did this thing where I'm going, wait a minute, is he changing? Is he not? You know, he's playing with me. You know, the story and the director are <laughs> goofing with me. What's going on here? I was really impressed and surprised by it. So I've grown to love this movie a lot. I can completely say without hesitation that even though we're only about halfway through 2020, this is probably one of my favorite discoveries of the year. Yay! Having watched us for the first time. Uh, you know, the direction, the performances, the story, the story structure. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, the music. Uh, you know, I just oh, yeah. really like that, too, the music. Uh, his name's Raul. So, boy. I did not write it down because I thought you would. Crashar? I'm sorry. Okay. I'm mispronouncing his last name. I'm, I'm sure. it's He's French. Uh, and he did a handful of movies that I love. Things like. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and Billy the Kid meets Dracula. He did those cool. two. Uh, and you know, did a handful of, of movies that I am familiar with, but I've never really sought out more information about this particular composer because I was like, yeah, you know, he, 
he's a composer. He does his thing. But there's some good stuff here that I would like to go back and, you know, try to see if I can watch these movies and pick up on even more of this really interesting music. He did The Unknown Terror from 57. Wow. Which, you know, it's kind of those off-the-beaten-path movies. But again, you know, he adds this, this level of uh, richness to it with his music. And what he did with Bride of the Gorilla, man, this is one that I wish I could pick up on CD. You know, I know I'll never have that opportunity. I know it'll never be released. It probably doesn't exist anywhere anyway outside of what's in the movie. But, man, it's some good stuff. Yep. Yep. And apparently the movie did very well when it was released. Good. The controversy that was going on with Barbara Payton at the time apparently fueled the box office uh, a lot for the movie. And it did really well. And they, you know, they did the appearances with her in a gorilla at d- different places. Well, a guy in a gorilla costume. Uh, oh, that would be amazing to see. <laughs> yeah. The the cool thing I found out, too, is the gorilla costume, it was Crash Corrigan's gorilla costume. He, it looked familiar. I thought it looked like something I'd seen before. Yeah. it was, He had sold it to, I think, a guy was a bartender or something like that. And the guy started doing gorilla movies. But That's awesome. Yeah, I, that was kind of cool. I alluded earlier, way back, about mm-hmm. something that I, you would have to wait till later for us to talk about. Uh-oh. Um, okay. Yeah. What you got? So, <laughs> so this movie to me is a near miss with some tweaks. I think it could have been one of those that we would know more about. We'd be a lot more familiar with, you know, it would be okay. a monolith monsters or a monster on campus or something like that. You know, one, maybe not a up to universal level, but you know, okay. maybe one of those next level movies. Sure. Okay. If a couple of things might've been different, for example, I, I like what Siadmak did with the direction, although he will admit that he didn't really know what he was doing because he had never directed a movie before. Okay. It was interesting. He said that, you know, he got the first day of shooting, he got there and he was basically paralyzed, catatonic the whole time because he just didn't know what to do. And the cast and the crew were so professional that they brought him through this. So I think you see a lot of the direction in this movie coming as a collaborative effort rather than just him alone. I mean, you could look at the two movies that he directed later, Kukuru, Beasts of the Amazon, and Love Slaves of the Amazon or something like that. I've not seen either one of them uh, to see if he really had the chops as a director. But if you could recast this, who would you say would make a good director for this to bring it up maybe another level are we talking about during that era or it's like a remake today or either one pick take your pick oh boy i hadn't even thought about today i wrote this question down after just a couple of viewings and then a couple more viewings i'm like well whoever ended up doing most of the direction uh siadmak as the director did a great job because the movie is fantastic sure but it would be interesting to see if somebody else was at the helm, maybe a bigger name, that it would have gotten a little more recognition um, from us as Monster Kids. So I suspect that where my brain just went is nowhere near where your brain went, um, especially you? since at, at this point in the 50s, I don't think he was really involved in direction as much. But uh-huh. I wonder if somebody like uh, King Kong's Marion C. Cooper or and Ernest P. Schotzak would have – done something interesting with this just because of their background yeah they used to do the silent films and nature and all that oh that would be great they seem to have a real affinity for that style of storytelling anyway Mm -hmm. so i wonder how that would have looked but again 
the heyday for them was the 30s. You know? Yeah, that's way better than mine. And I can't, now that you mentioned if they were actually directing at the time, I can't remember. I was thinking Omer. Oh, man, yeah. What would Omer do with this story? <laughs> what would Omer do? Needs to be a t-shirt, first of all. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, man, Edgar Omer on this would have been fantastic. I think it would have pushed it up into maybe like the, uh, not up to a black cat kind of level of cool, but you would have talked about this before now if oh, it sure. had been somebody like that. All right, so sure. um, recast the characters. Oh, man. I don't want to recast Cheney. This is one of my favorite Cheneys I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, the, I would agree with that, but you know who would also do really well? Your mm. favorite man of all time. I was thinking, where does Agar fit into this? In so many movies, he's played the sheriff. Yeah. And does so yeah. well. I would have put, you know, if if not for Cheney, because you're right, Cheney does a really fantastic job in this show. Uh, he does good. And I wouldn't recast Raymond Burr either. Oh, um, God, no. Absolutely no, he's not. So he makes good in the this. movie. He He's the movie in this. Barbara Payton's character, Dina, I don't know. Hmm. I would like to see somebody who could do a little bit more with the role. Um, she did an adequate and a good job, but maybe somebody could add some depth to it or a little bit more because Dina is an interesting character. It would have been interesting to see also if some of her part got cut and got left behind, if if there was more with her in the movie. Yeah, maybe, yeah. This is just something I was thinking about. A director with some experience behind him might have been able to bring this up to a higher level, or at least got it some more love from us monster kids. Sure. But that's why we're here. Yeah, that's true. That's what Monster Kid Radio is all about. So keep Lon Chaney in the movie, but swap out Barbara Payton with Evil and Anchors. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know? That would be awesome. And and, and let them actually exhibit some of the animosity they may have had toward each other on screen (laughs) for once. Because he's investigating her husband, you know, and kind of play up that a little bit. Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Although I like the movie a lot as it is. Though. Yeah. I, mean, don't I would get me wrong. I really wouldn't change anything, but I was just speculating. Although here's the one thing I might change. And I think Seattle would have agreed being in the position he was in and not being able to shoot the movie like he wanted to shoot it. What would you have done with the creature? And if you could have had a Sukarath. Who would you have designed the Sukarath costume? I know your answer, I bet. Well, I mean, the go-to for classic monster design is, is Jack Pierce, but no. this is the early 50s. Yep. And his techniques didn't necessarily translate to that particular era of filmmaking. I love Paul Blaisdell, but there's also kind of a, a low-budgetness charm to a lot of what he does, and right. I don't know if that would have worked here either. Hmm. Oh, Derek, you're disappointing me. Oh, man. Uh-oh. Millicent Patrick. Oh, 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 yeah. There you go. A full-body Sukarath costume with the alligator-looking croc. Uh, he, and the interesting thing is he says alligator, and the, but they're in South America. It would have been a caiman, you know, yeah. but with a, a kind of a caiman lizard man. Ah, Lon Chaney. Mm. He could have ah, been a lizard go. man. Um, I think that would have been really cool. And again, if it hadn't have been a, a guy in a gorilla costume, which is fine, it works beautifully in the film. Uh, again, because we really don't know till right at the end, and you don't sure. get to see him that much. But just imagine if at the end we see 
this really unknown creature from their local folklore and myth materialize, that would have been really cool. And if it had been something, a full body costume like the creature was in, you know, Millicent Patrick did for us, that would have been sweet. Yeah, that would have been peak time for her too. Yeah. To be doing that kind of work. That would have been amazing. But wow. even with all that speculation, we go back and say, this film does not need any changing. It really doesn't. It's a gem of a film. Uh, it's one of those things that you pass the uh, title as you're searching for things to watch, and you're like, eh, Bride of the Grill, a 19th Jack Broder Productions. I don't know. But then if you stop and watch this movie, you will thank yourself for having stopped. And listeners, I'm going to say this right now. I believe this film is in the public domain. I, I looked at a number of different resources here, and if it truly is, the Saturday after this episode goes out, you're going to see it as part of the Social Distance Saturday stream. So if you haven't seen it yet and you don't mind the spoilers that we just gave you, please check it out. I think you're going to find a lot to really love about this movie. I believe you're correct because, again, I saw it first with Dr. Drek. It's in a bunch of places on Roku and I believe on YouTube. I think I've watched it on YouTube also. And it's on Prime. Actually, yeah, I've seen it released on DVD as well. The DVD yeah. case looks like something somebody put together. It may actually be in the Mill Creek set, too. I believe so. Plus, it also appeared in some early seasons, I believe, of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I believe a lot of times correct. that early stuff, all of it was just strictly public domain. So, oh, yeah, I hope I'll find so. out for sure and I'll run it. So, listeners, come check it out with us. Absolutely. We can all talk about this stuff. There you go on the chat. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be fantastic, Derek. I'm I'm really excited that I got to introduce this to you. <laughs> I thought for sure you had seen this already, but well, like I said, I was mixing it up with the other one. Right, and, right. You know, the other one's good too, and I remember thinking, okay, that's a good one. I, Tom seems really excited about this movie. I don't remember it being that great, but okay. But then I put it in. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. So yeah, and I'm glad I was a catalyst for that. Oh, yeah. Cool. So I think we'll definitely have to have you back on down the line. I mean, you picked a good movie, so, you know, you're in. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Win the Classic Five for real. Ah, there Means you go. Means I get to come back. <laughs> well, between now and whenever your next appearance will be later this year, sometime on the show, if people want to hear you, they got to go over to your podcast. And that yep. is, again? The Go Forth and Game podcast at GoForthAndGame.com. And you can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Right on. And I'll make sure there's links in the show notes, of course. Sweet. Tom, thanks for your support of Monster Kid Radio over the years. Thanks for doing this with me. This is awesome. And you and I definitely need to talk gaming at some point. Absolutely. You have an open invitation to come on my show and talk about some games. And I was thinking maybe we can get Stephen D on, too. Steve Sullivan, man. Yeah. He's an old school RPG designer, man. Absolutely. He's, He's in it. So, right on. Yep. Anytime we'll talk about uh, Horrified or anything else that comes up, if we can link it back with Monster Kids, that would be even better. Oh, yeah. What we need to do is find one of these online services that lets you play board games on the internet with your friends and find a way to do Horrified with a group of people virtually. That would be so much fun. Here's one for you and for listeners. Board Game Arena. Okay. That's what I'm playing on with my friends right now. And there's a ton of modern board games and uh, classic board games on there. It's super busy right now during, you know, 
Corona Apocalypse because that's the only way you can play. Um, right. But it's asynchronous too. You don't have to play at the same time if you don't want to. Oh, okay. So you take your turn and then it sends you an email when it's your turn. And that kind oh, of, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've looked into a handful of these things that have like online playability like this. I know there's a lot of Cards Against Humanity servers set up mm-hmm. now. And uh, I know there's a lot of stuff for role-playing games that I haven't figured out how to work yet. Yeah, me which too. Is, which is probably for the best because if I figured out how to make that work, then that's one more thing that I'm doing every week. But right. I'll have to look into this boardgamearena.com. When you find out, get signed up and we'll play something. Sounds like a plan, man. Cool. I want to say thank you. I don't know. I guess I've been listening for a couple, two, three years now. And this is a joy for me. You have reawakened my monster kid who was asleep or frozen in a block of ice. And now he's back. And this is what I lived and breathed when I was a kid and growing up. And now I get to have pleasure in it again through Monster Kid Radio. And you have introduced me to so many movies that I would not have considered previously. For example, Cave of the Living Dead. Was that right? Yeah, Cave of the Living Dead. Cave of the Living Dead. Another one of these unseen movies that assembled across with Steve Turek. Oh, it's so, so good. good. So it, it really is. So go go watch that, folks. But thank you. You're doing a huge service to us. If people don't tell you enough, we appreciate it. Thank you so oh. much. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. So thank you for all your support. We'll definitely have you back on the show down the line, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So. Sweet. We interrupt this program to bring you the following special announcement. The world's first horror head transplant has failed, and five brain donors have died in the experiment. Now you can see it all at your local theater in Beast of Blood. And on the same show, Curse of the Vampires, both brand new in gory color. You'll see a mad fiend transplant human heads in the Cave of Horrors and encounter stunning, screaming, shocking terror as it lives. A monster's head detached from its body, causing savage and inhuman destruction. More fantastic than science, more shocking than fantasy, the creature without a head, controlled by an insane artificial brain, Beast of Blood. Don't miss Beast of Blood and Curse of the Vampires, both rated GP. supernatural powers of the evil eye claim still another victim. Its malevolent enjoyment of tantalizing torture hangs threateningly over John Saxon, Letitia Roman, and Valentina Corteza. She was always against me. She hated me. Madness. And the maddening aura that destroys reason fills their every breath with the smell of death. Have you ever seen a murder before? No, no, I've never seen anything like that. Never. Oh, stop playing games, will you, Landini? I don't know what you're trying to do, but I know that you're you're involved in this. Perhaps Nora has seen the killer. But how do we know that he hasn't seen her? 
the evil eye, like relentless tides, reaches out for them. And they defiantly hold ecstasy and horror in their arms and touch lips with terror, while the evil eye watches their every kiss and invades their subconscious. of Cuban sugar, though. Here's what happened. The general beat his friend Castro to the Cuban treasury. The strongbox is now on this boat. So are a deported American gangster and his mall. And lurking in the depths is the creature from the haunted sea. You're a crazy mixed-up kid. I am perfectly adjusted to my life of crime. Don't worry, Mary Bell. I'll save you. Be calm, everybody. The boat's insured. Saturday, July 4th, 2020, is The Creature of Social Distance Saturday. We're going to be showing five movies, maybe a short or two. There's going to be a pre-show, of course, as well as a live chat happening over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. Come and join us. We're going to be showing movies like The Creature from the Haunted Sea, Christopher R. Mims' House of Ghosts, Joshua Kennedy's Attack of the Octopus People, and we're going to be showing the movie Track of the Vampire. And honestly... I can't remember what else, but we're going to be showing some more movies and at least one TV show. I already mentioned that Tales of Frankenstein, so you know that's coming up here too. Now, this is totally free. Come in and join us. It's twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. If you have a Twitch account, please consider following Monster Kid Radio or even subscribing to the channel because then you'll be updated every time I release something new to the stream. The pre-show starts around 11 a.m. Pacific time, and then the movies start around noon Pacific time. And we go, well, for however long we need to go to get through all the movies that I have lined up. We are getting to a point now where we may be retiring the name Social Distance Saturday, and I'll talk a little bit about that well, during Social Distance Saturday. So stay tuned. Make sure you come over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio to learn what I've got in mind. And speaking of the weekend stream, next weekend, we are changing from Monster Kid Radio to Kaiju Kid Radio when we join Kaiju Conline with their virtual Kaiju convention. This July, coming from the depths of the internet, is the fiercest only fun 
KaijuCon Line 2020. From July 11th through the 12th, content creators, fans, artists, and more will gather together to celebrate the wonderful world of the giant monsters that inhabit the kaiju genre. Check out the Facebook event, KaijuCon Line 2020, or our website, KaijuConline.com, for upcoming details and listings for this online monster convention. We hope to see you all there. Things are moving fast. KaijuCon Line's coming up here quick, and kind of seeing what's going on behind the scenes, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to be part of it, and I can't wait to see all the other awesome events that are going to be happening for free as part of Kaiju Con Line. You know, if nothing else, I, I'm not a big fan of what's happening in the world with the Corona apocalypse. I think that much is kind of a given, right? Who really enjoys the pandemic and being stuck at home and all these conventions being canceled. I think the one silver lining is that so many of these events are going online. They are hitting the virtual space. And a lot of times they're free. <laughs> so those of us who can't normally get to one of these actual events in person, like say G-Fest, not that KaijuCon line is associated with G-Fest, but just as an example, now because it's gone virtual, I can participate. And, you know, I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the hard work that people are putting into making these virtual events happen. Speaking of the Corona apocalypse, a little bit of sad news, and it has to do with the Monster Bash. It has just been announced that the Monster Bash Bela Lugosi Film Festival has been postponed to August 13th and 14th. It's still going to happen at the Palace Theater in Canton, Ohio. It's just had to be pushed back a little bit because, again, of what's going on in the world and all that. Pay attention to monsterbashnews.com to keep up to date with everything going on with the Monster Bash. And of course, if there's any updates, I'll make sure I mention them here on the show as well. Speaking of Monster Bash, head over to creepyclassics.com. Check out what they have to offer. Maybe help support Monster Bash by picking up some cool movies. There's some really good stuff over there. Maybe a magazine or two or a book, a poster, a gift certificate to be used later. Well, whatever. We just want to see Creepy Classics and the Monster Bash survive the pandemic. I think you can tell that we are winding down the episode this week. We are getting near the end of everything where I try to remember everything else I need to tell you about before I let you go. But I think I've covered most of it. Wait a minute. No, there is something I wanted to mention. The second Monster Kid Radio channel has been launched. And I know that I reached out to a lot of people on Facebook and here on the podcast and elsewhere asking for suggestions or advice for naming this new channel. Because I can't just call it Monster Kid Radio. You know, the Monster Kid Radio channel or the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. YouTube channel is the official title. That is where all the podcasts are going to go. But I do want to get into doing some non-podcast Monster Kid related video. I know I've done a few in the past, but I want to have a dedicated home for it. So I have created the new YouTube channel and it's called Electronics Service Unit number 16. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. We don't have enough subscribers or likes over there yet to warrant getting a custom URL. That's where you guys and gals come in. Please consider subscribing to that new YouTube channel and hopefully we can get an easier to remember URL. In the meantime, just look up electronics service unit number 16 and number is abbreviated. It's NO.16. Yeah, I thought I was pretty clever when I came up with that name. Anyway, I hope to have a video uploaded there by tomorrow, by the latest. So stay tuned over there. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming up next week. So 
I'm kind of throwing the schedule out the window. I know that I announced on Facebook what's coming up when, and then I snuck something in about Kaiju Con line, and then we had something about Monster Batch. I wanted to make sure I got in there during the weekend of Monster Batch. You know, I don't know if I just need to work harder at maintaining a schedule, get a whiteboard and write everything out on a calendar or what. So I don't even remember what I had planned for next week. Uh, it very well may have been what I do want to talk about next week, which is the thriller episode Pigeons from Hell. We're going to talk about that episode, where it came from. And when I say we, I mean me and David Heath. He's coming back to the show to talk about this incredible adaptation of a Robert E. Howard short story, which is one of the best episodes of Thriller, if you ask me. So that's coming up next week, at least as of right now. That's what I'm planning to have come out next week. It could be something totally different. I've got a recording with Tracy Morris about The Invisible Woman, and I just completed an interview earlier today with filmmakers Nate Wilson and Ansel Farage about a movie that they've got premiering on a future installment of Social Distance Saturday. You know what? I'm just going to say, follow monsterkidradio.net because that's where I'll try to announce what is coming up in the near future on the podcast. Just stay subscribed to Monster Kid Radio and you'll make sure you get the new episode. Just set it and forget it and you're good to go. All right. Again, big thanks to the band Urban Surf Kings for letting us play their song Gringo Beans here on the show. Once again, you can find them at urbansurfkings.com as well as Bandcamp, Facebook, YouTube. I'll make sure there's a link to their main web page in the show notes. You can find the song Gringo Beans on their album Astro Surf A Go Go. And if you were to pick that up over on Bandcamp, you're only paying $15 for the digital album. Some good stuff there. Big thanks to that band. Really appreciate their support of the show. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. The song Gringo Beans is copyright 2018, Urban Surf Kings. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>